in the background there. That'd be <laughs> yeah, nice you have a photo you put in the document. Do you want this to be, because I usually do an Instagram art piece. Can I use this, you think? Or yeah, for sure, yeah. You think Plaxton and Eric would get mad? Plaxton. Those are the same people. Oh. <laughs> That's the same <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I don't think they'll give a shit. I'll be fine. Nick and What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the Northside Polo Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin, here with my friends and my teammates, Alex. Hey, what's up? And Liam. Hey, what's up? And this week, we got a special co-host coming to us all the way from Toronto. That's Mr. John Hayes. Welcome to the group, John. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. It's going to be a really awesome episode. I can feel it in my bones. Okay, let's get started. We got a pretty fun activity to begin our show today because we don't have much in the way of news. So the activity, Alex, why don't you introduce this since you dreamt it up? It's hilarious. This is uh, a pretty simple concept. It is true or false, John Hayes edition. We have John on the line and Liam as the relatively new player compared to the rest of us so there's a least least acquainted with mr hayes (laughs) the legend of john hayes so (laughs) oh i've heard the stories speaking to that legend and what is story and what is what is myth and what is reality uh we just have a bunch of true or false statements and uh, we're going to get liam to try and deduce the the what is true and what is false and then uh, we'll get john to confirm or deny as he sees fit (laughs) okay let's do it I'm ready. Okay. Should I go first then? Yeah, let's do we'll it. Let's alternate, Alex. Okay. So true or false, Liam, John Hayes created podium. Well, I know that's true. Uh, yeah. False. Everyone knows that. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I didn't create podium. No, that was didn't? Uh, Vince uh, from Portland. I, I, I like oh. to think I have popularized it, but no, I, I, I I absolutely did not know. So all those times that I've been cursing Podium and being like, curse you, John Hayes. That was all, <laughs> that was all wrong. Yep. It was, I'm sorry. It is probably my fault for, you know, quite how many tournaments it was used in. It's yeah, a strange, I, damn. It's strange myth out there. Cause I actually heard that from multiple people that you had some part in the creation of Podium. Nope. And I, I did not. I, I definitely like, you know, suggested a few like features and stuff like that, but I, I didn't, I didn't have any active part in, in developing it. You were an okay. ambassador. Sure. You were like brand ambassador. Way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Well, I guess I don't know any, everything I know is now, I don't know anything. He'd be second guessing himself throughout all of these questions. Fuck. I was so okay. confident too. Okay. Moving on. John Hayes was actually born in Australia. Um, I mean, possibly, but I don't think so. You're born in the UK, yeah. aren't you? It's false. I was born in the UK. Yeah. Yes. There you go. UK. One. Okay. Australia. Next one was on the first NA's team to win worlds. Oh. Um. Got to know your polo history. First NA's teams to win worlds. Um, what was the, t- can I ask for the team name? 
Was no, it? you can't ask. <laughs> I would give it away. Just oh. true or false, Liam. Come on. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. It wasn't uh, the Beavers. John never yeah, played for the say, Beavers. I'll give you that. I was going to say it wasn't Beavers. Uh, I'll <laughs> say uh, true. What the hell? Yeah, I won it the first three times. No. I, uh, oh. I, 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 I have absolutely not won Worlds. I've not even once legitimately qualified for Worlds. Though I have played in, I think, four of them. Wow. Uh, wow. Main, That's pretty mainly cool. by the fact that I was there and <laughs> those major bike polo tournaments work. If you turn up, you get to play. When That's when was cool. your first Worlds? Um the first Worlds that I was at was Geneva in 2012. Um I somehow qualified for the wild card, which I think I, back then wild cards really were just who turned up and could play. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I didn't qualify. I didn't make it out of um, the wild card. There, we I remember getting beaten by some Australians, and at the time, everyone was like, "Australians, they're terrible." And then, then they weren't quite so bad as everyone thought. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that mm. was that was that. That was Geneva, 2012. Well, there we go. That's a piece of bike polo history. We'll we'll definitely get into the uh, year history more later, but. Gavin, we got to move on. Is it my turn? I thought it was your turn. Is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, it's my I turn. I can't count. Okay. <laughs> uh, John Hayes is the former president of NAH. Uh, that's true. Nope. What? I've never, I've what? never been president of NAH. You know what? No. You know what? I think this is is Gavin and Allison feeding me lies, leading me up to this, <laughs> leading up to this moment in my life. Okay, I, I could have sworn people have said that. I was I was tournament director for NH for a few years, um, but uh, it was uh, I think mainly Ben Schultz who was the the president at the time. Oh man! Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, this one, Liam. I don't know if you're going to get this one. Owned a bike not. polo equipment company. Did John ever own a bike polo equipment company? Um, false. It's true. I did. Oh my god! <laughs> no, was it Northern Standard? No. No, no. That was a different um, one. That was in BC. Pointed. You've never heard of the the legendary company that was Magic Bike Polo, or uh... you know the company that's on all of John's equipment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my equipment is, is all from like 2013. I've never needed to replace it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little little more. But yeah, no, I I was part owner with with Max Knight of Magic Bike Polo a few years back in sort of uh, I guess like seven to eight years ago now okay yeah we're, we're definitely going to talk more about magic and just uh, the cool kind of journey went on with that brand so don't worry that's coming up mm-hmm. Alex you want to get this next one okay uh, Liam you are uh, you were doing significantly worse than if you just guessed true every time <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is what you say before I before there's a false one it's, it becomes pretty improbable that you could get this many wrong in a row, but uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's 50, 50 every time. Right. Um, right. Okay. So j- true or false, John Hayes refed a world championship final. True. It's also false. What? Oh my <laughs> God. I, I'm pretty sure it's false. I was trying to think back when I saw this question. Um, I, I've definitely refed some like fairly high level games, but usually by that point in the tournament, I'm just like, happy it's almost over and definitely not in a good like mental state to be refing a game. So <laughs> I think I've yeah. sat next to like like Will 
refing maybe a final game, but or maybe I was goal ref or something. But no, I've never never been the head ref for a world championship final. If you can find a video of John Hayes refing a world championship final, Liam, we'll give this to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, retroactively give me yeah. a point. I was, yeah. yeah, I was trying. To, I was trying to think back to the ones I was at, and yeah, this shines light on the state close. of mind people are in when they're refing. They don't even remember if they were there or not. <laughs> is this really the kind of people we want refing our bike polo championships? It's a dramatic like, experience for a lot of people. I feel like most people would say that John yeah, Hayes is right. the kind of person they want refing their their championship finals. <laughs> Some people probably want to block the memory. No. Not yeah. if you're not if you're French or the Beaver Boys. I don't think you'd like <laughs> All right, here's an important one. John Hayes hates poutine. This is the uh, most important question yet. True. Uh, no, it's false. <laughs> I, I, I love poutine. Yeah, it's great. The great food. I can't believe you'd even think you'd hate it there, Liam. Yeah. I don't know. He was born in the UK, so I mean, I don't know. Fair. Maybe you prefer like a curry or something. Um, I like that in over there. So that's five in a row that you've gotten wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, John Hayes, true or false? John Hayes' favorite polo bike was fixed brake, or sorry, fixed rear brake. Fixed rear brake. So, like fixed gear rear brake, I think. Um, true. I'm just gonna guess true from now on. It is. It is true. Yes. Oh. Um, you know, I, I had more fun on that bike than I ever had, uh, as stupid as it sounds, both fixed gear and rear brake, but it was incredibly skiddy. And, you know, that was back when, yeah, polo wasn't quite the, uh, you know, sort of finesse sport that it is now. And when, mm -hmm. um, you know, just doing like really extravagant skids into like other people and knocking them over was, was a good move. <laughs> In some clubs, John, that is still a good move. Yeah. I've taken a lot back. of skiddies over here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. True or false? John Hayes invented the scoop side. Uh, I'm going to say false, actually, for this one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's false. Um, I, I definitely was a big fan of it, and I think I, I helped sell a lot of them. But I'm pretty sure. I mean, people were always like cutting weird holes out of out of um, out of heads. Um, you know, even before I started playing, but I think the first company to really start doing it as an actual product was 3PMH out of Germany in like 2011, maybe. Very cool. Um, I put that down there thinking it was ludicrous, and to know you actually had a part to play in the popularization <laughs> of the scoop side is just we're finding out a lot of stuff playing this game. Yeah, and I was I was very upset when that was disallowed, but you know, it's the way it is. I, I wasn't very upset, but I was, you know, I thought it was a cool innovation. For sure. Legalized scoops. All right. Um, at some point in his polo career, sorry, true or false, at some point in his polo career, John Hayes had a top 10 mullet in North America. <laughs> um, true. Um. I would say false. I definitely never had a mullet while I was actively playing. I do have a mullet now, though, which I don't know if you can see. But oh, um, yeah, I, I don't think. I think there's definitely better. There's people who've had better mullets for sure. Have you but been contacted false. by the mullet ranking people? No. Yeah, <laughs> who's in charge of this top ten list? 
To be fair, um, if I can't think of I can't think of ten better mullets on polo players in NA right mm. now. <laughs> Not now, but I'm sure there were. I can dig through the archives. Over the course of history. Yeah. You know how they have like the bikes of polo Instagram? They should have the mullets of polo Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the stats, length. Okay. <laughs> Did Liam, John get Sorry, did Liam get that one or not? I said true. Uh, okay. So he's one for, okay. <laughs> John Hayes went to the USA for the first time for bike polo, but he didn't play. Uh, yeah, true. What the hell? It is true. Um, nice. The first time, yeah, the first time I ever went to North America. Um, I flew to the USA for Ladies Army in Kentucky back in 2012. It was also my 30th birthday. Um, I was going to play in like the pre-event, which was uh, uh, like a mixed event, but I was actually not feeling great that day. So uh, uh, someone else jumped in for me. And so, yeah, I didn't play the whole weekend and just got drunk instead. <laughs> Fair nice. enough. That's a good way there to spend a pool tournament. Yeah. So I brought a bike, but... <laughs> Yeah. And uh, okay, true or false? John Hayes is the longest playing player in Northsides. Mm, well, judging by some of the dates you gave me there, I would say yes, true. Although uh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm thinking of people in our club that have played for quite a long time too. Um, so maybe I'll say false, actually. Is that is it too late to, to switch my answer? No, I no. think we'll we'll let you we'll yeah. let you. Is that awesome. your final answer, Liam? My final answer is false. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely false. I know people like um, I'm pretty sure even Kev Walsh uh, probably played in Europe before he uh, he I don't know if he'd already played here or not, but uh, he was definitely playing before I did. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure half half the Ottawa club seems like they've been playing since you know like you know. The 20th century. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if to take that as a slight, but we definitely got some old heads in the club that have been playing a long time. Yeah, um, I think definitely some of those like OG Korea players. Yeah. Did Did Nick play before you too? Oh yeah, yeah. Nick Savage okay, definitely. Yeah. He actually he he started in London in England. Actually, he lived there for a while. When When I wrote that question, I was thinking Nick yeah. is probably the longest the active player. Ones? In- he might be, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, I don't know about Nahon actually. If he, I know oh, Nate. I was going to say between Nahon and Nick yeah. were the two guys I was thinking might be the the oldest. I don't know between the two of them. Yeah, I guess they're forgetting like Angelo. True. Yeah, I don't know Johnny Rockstar players. Yeah, like these guys picked it up yeah. in the Seattle World Messengers when it was uh, World Messenger Championships when it was a demonstration sport. And brought it back. Uh, there wasn't even a club in New York yet when they brought it back to Ottawa. You know who we're forgetting? Navid. Oh yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Navid, of course. He was he was a big part of the um, Navid and Glenn actually. I think were big parts of the that sort of unofficial first worlds in Toronto. Um, so they've definitely been playing since then. It's pretty cool. Okay, last one. Oh, that was two thousand eight, I think. Oh, oh yeah, and Kev. Yeah, Kevin finished uh, third place actually in that world in 2008. So he's definitely been playing since then. Mm. Okay, last one for you, Liam. Let's see if you can. Uh, this is one for all or nothing. All we forgive if you get it right. High note. Yeah. John Hayes had something to do with creating the high sticking rule. True or false? 
Um, he played a pivotal role in the creation of the high sticking rule. We're counting brand ambassador in this. Just since that seems to be a common theme. <laughs> yeah, it's like not not exactly true, but your hand was in there somehow. And like I'm I'm guessing this is either like you were you were high sticked or you performed the high sticking. <laughs> no, I think it's more like he developed the rule and proposed it. Oh right, okay. Um, I'll say true. I'm pretty sure that's false. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was definitely not in charge of rules at the time. I probably had a voice in, in how it played out um, when that was brought in. Because I think, if I remember, that was a North American rule that we brought in first. So it was probably like Joe Rustin or Nick Cruz. or something. I wouldn't mean Nick Cruz. He hates that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> probably Joe Rustin. Um, I was never a big fan. I, I realize it's there for safety, but I just think <laughs> it's cool. Wow, you I guess I don't know stage. anything. Oh, say that again, Liam. <laughs> I just don't I don't know anything. My world is shattered. I thought I knew John. To be honest, playing this game has made me realize I don't know John that well. Because <laughs> a lot of things I thought were true turned out to be false. But I'm happy that no one knows what I yeah. thought was true and what I thought was false. So, so in total, I have Liam going five for 14. Holy shit. Am I allowed Which, to be on the podcast still? Or you know what? Which was a lot better than I thought it was going to be when you started one for eight. <laughs> yeah i rallied in the second half there mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i also realized the two i put in were pretty obviously true because nobody would say that if it was false <laughs> fair fair you know john i think that game really speaks to your kind of storied history and how long you've been involved in the game and that you've done a lot of really interesting things along the way um just growing the sport or game depending on which way you lean on that as much as you have um, my question for you is what initially drew you to bike polo? Like what brought you into this game and why have you stayed around for so long? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I initially sort of became aware of it in, in 2009. I had some, some friends in the sort of the fixed gear scene in, in London and, um, you know, bike polo was sort of, you know, a part of that bigger scene, um, and one day I actually just saw, you know, I, I lived, it turned out right next to sort of one of the main bike polo courts in London. Um, and one day I saw them playing and I just went and sat down and um, watched and it seemed cool. And then uh, that same year, it was the, the first European Championships were in London. And as part of the, the agreement that, you know, London Bike Polo had with, uh, you know the, the local councils and so on was that they had to put on some um you know some sessions where they would teach people how to play um and so i actually went along to one of those and you know played there and you know i got given a bike and a mallet and everything and you know obviously it was a complete disaster but it was it was fun um i didn't then really think about it much more until sort of the next year and in 2010 i i, I came back in the spring and um, started playing and I think soon after there was uh, L- London's had a long history of like the winter league and um, so that would have been the next winter after um, where everyone gets together and plays like a league throughout the winter and it's still going to this day actually um, uh, and that's sort of where I really started playing a bit more seriously sort of towards you know the end of 2010 cool and what, but what made you stay? You've been here for so long. You moved to another continent and you kept playing. What has been, what really pulled you in? Um, yeah, it's another, another good question. Um, I, um, 
It's hard to say, but I think it's 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 to some extent um, it's the community. I think it's um, I'm also just uh, a fan in general of of sports where you can you can drink and you know aren't really too committed from a uh, you know sort of time point of view. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe some of that's changed more recently, but certainly the, you know, when I started, nobody was doing any sort of real practice or training or anything like that. It was just sort of you know turn up for pickup and. You know, every now and then there'd be some sort of very poorly organized tournament, which, you know, somehow produced some sort of winner. And it, it's all, it was all fun. And then actually when I, um, when I moved here, which was, was for work, the fact that I, I would instantly sort of know, you know, a community of like 20, 30 people when I moved to a completely different country, um, you know, was a real help. Right. And I think honestly, like helped me, helped me make my decision as, you know, I, I, I vaguely encountered some people like like Kev and um, Oscar and uh, I think Nahon too, like in like you know other international tournaments, things like that. And um, you know, having having that just like an instant community, I could uh, you know fit into when I arrived here. That was you know that was a big part of that. And um, yeah, I haven't had to make any more friends since I moved to Toronto. So that's great. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think just the, the community part of it is honestly great. And just um, to be able to be part of, you know, like a sport that's, that's, you know, constantly sort of still growing and changing. I mean, you know, I play other sports. Like I, I play, since I moved here, I play you know, hockey too, but it's very like organized and it's very much like, this is what it is. And there's no real room for sort of, um, you know, like growth or changing or seeing it develop, right? So I think it's it's it was fun to be like part of something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like even when I when I moved to Toronto, even though it wasn't from nearly as far away as, as uh, London, but just even coming from Ottawa, moving to a new city where I didn't know that many people, having a polo club pretty instantly plugged me into uh, at least two or three times a week hanging out with people and then pretty mm-hmm. quickly from there, uh, a new social group. Yeah, like a passport. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The the passport bit is interesting too. Uh, like I, I I traveled so much because of like well, I mean it's been a little harder since I, I moved here because everything's so far away, right? But certainly when I was living in Europe, it was like every weekend or every other weekend I'd be like, oh sure, let's just you know take a forty five minute flight to Germany. There'll be a tournament there, or let's fly to Poland or fly to France or whatever, right? Or just drive down to. Uh, drive somewhere else in England or whatever. Like there, there would there would be multiple tournaments going on every every weekend somewhere in Europe, and you know it would be easy to make a sort of trip out of it and visit a couple of cities that I probably would never go to otherwise. Um, along the way, like Ottawa. I mean, the same applies to some extent here. <laughs> yeah. So, because you've been around for so long, I'm sure you've been a part of some pretty cool moments i'm wondering what are kind of your career highlights what memorable moments have you witnessed or been a part of um yeah so i think uh, i mean on a on a personal level um you know i think some of my highlights have been certainly um you know, some of the tournaments that uh, I, i've gone to you know certainly earlier on when you know I, I was seeing a lot of progression and doing well and actually ended up you know winning a couple of tournaments um yeah there were a couple in in germany that i played in and one which was uh which was great um but honestly i think some of the highlights for me have been um more the tournaments that um whether i sort of you know helped create them or organize them or you know had um 
or just helped in some part. And yeah, I think that's always the sort of the part of the sport that I've um, been drawn to a bit more. You know, I, I saw somewhat of a gap in terms of you know, organization in, in, in general. And that's generally sort of part of my skill set that I, I, I have. So that's sort of um, something that, you know, sort of really appealed to me. And I think some specific highlights would be, um, you know, I mentioned Ladies Army. That was the first time I'd, I had ever been in America. That was the, the first time I'd been to, a, you know, a, a, a ladies tournament. Um, and it was it was amazing seeing just all the different players, all the different styles and, you know, generally just the sort of, uh, you know, slightly more brash uh, North Americans compared to sort of, uh, you know, the Europeans I was I was used to playing with. So definitely Ladies Army in Kentucky was a huge one. Um, also, um, I went to one of the early tournaments in uh, Puerto Rico, um, which was you know, a very, very different vibe, but also just, just an amazing time to be at, just playing at, you know, this uh, little court with basically like no no walls or anything around the side, um, just right by the beach and, you know, very, very chill sort of, bike polo but um great to be there um i think the, the the other highlights for me have really been yeah some of the some of the worlds i've been to and just just uh, well then you know euros and north americans too uh just some of the uh the real high level of, of polo that you know has taken place at some of those tournaments and some of the sort of um you know most famous moments should we say in in bike polo that's happened there um, you know, it's just, just amazing games to watch and uh, mm. amazing things to be part of. And the, and the fact that, you know, these people that have come from all over the world and, you know, many, many of these people, this is sort of, you know, what they've been saving up for, for, you know, years in some cases to, to come to, right? And it's just such a huge event for them. And it's, it's, it's great to be part of that. I'm kind of curious because you've been to so many high level tournaments what do you think's changed since, you know, Geneva back in 2012 or even before that, if you were at one before and, you know, nowadays when we're at a big competitive tournament, what are the biggest differences? Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest ones is the play styles, you know, I mean, back sort of when I first started going in sort of yeah, 2012, 2013, um, you know, at the time those sort of tournaments were largely dominated by the, the North American teams who at the time were really much more of a sort of, um, yeah, maybe violence the wrong word, but certainly not afraid to sort of, you know, crush people into the the boards. And generally the, you know, the tactics for the winning teams were, you know, around that sort of like, you know, let's take out the other team and then score rather than, you know, let's let's craft this this beautiful uh goal. And you know, it, some of it's been um you know changes in the rules that have encouraged some different play styles. But I think also some of the you know, the the more successful teams of the last six, seven years. So I'm thinking of, you know, the Call Me Daddies and then, um, you know, the various teams featuring, you know, Morgan and Emmett and uh, Dodie and so on, just like that very skillful style of play. Um, you know, you, you, you won't really see them like, you know, crushing someone into the, the boards anymore, right? And so I think it's... Uh, seeing that change and seeing those new styles come along and, and, and beat them, um, you know, beat the sort of the previous champions, should we say. Um, I think, I think also um, uh, just, you know, seeing some of the exciting new players come through. Like I, I, I played with Luca when he was 14 
back in Cambridge and, you know, just this little kid on like, you know, some terrible like mountain bike or something who just, you know, but was just doing crazy things and making, making a mockery of some of these very experienced <laughs> players. Like, you know, and he's still seeing that. 14. <laughs> yeah. I should have started Only like 23 14. now. Damn. He's going to be around for a long time. I start young. Oh, I thought you were going to talk, Evan. <laughs> so you're a big tournament organizer, John. And mm-hmm. one thing you are known for is your your intricate turn- tournament formats, um, like the combinations of round robins and single elimination, double elimination, all that fun stuff. I guess this is where I, where I got the podium idea from, <laughs> thinking that it was your idea because you seem to be the mastermind of this like tournament organization because there is an art to it, like an art and a science mm-hmm. that goes into it. So what is your favorite tournament format and what do you consider when you make a bracket? Uh, okay. Yeah. So let, let me talk a little bit about that. I guess some of the, some of the history behind that too. So, um, you know, when I first started playing in general, you know, tournaments were, were pretty informal um yeah some people had started looking at things like swiss rounds um but i think a lot of people didn't you know and probably still to this day don't really understand some of the the intricacies of swiss rounds and you know why it's a good format why it's a bad format for other reasons um i i also played in some you know hilariously bad formats back then just like <laughs> ones with like random groups or there was there was one favorite one called circle formats where um everyone would just be listed in a circle and you'd play the next two teams like either side of you which obviously just led to like random sort of like some some teams got much easier ones some got much worse mm. ones <laughs> um yeah and I, I sort of like fairly early on um you know and obviously it's also part of sort of you know my, my job i'm the software guy and um you know i, I pretty easily and i i quickly saw there was definitely a gap in terms of you know some slightly more structured um formats and in terms of um you know making things uh, as, a little fairer and you know considering a lot of other factors too because it's one thing to have you know this format where um you know everyone gets to play the perfect sort of combination of teams and so on but then you've also got to got to factor in things like you know rain and you know bad conditions or just like light and all these sorts of other things you, you've got to, to have a really good format you've got to have all those contingencies in place um, just a quick example, one of the early sort of major tournaments I organized was the, the London Open, which actually happened just after Geneva in 2012. And um, especially back then, but I think still to some extent now, some of the some of these fields were huge. I think we signed up, oh, I, honestly can't remember, I think it was like 90 teams or something ridiculous for this wow. sort of tournament. Wow. Um, and it's just, you know, like a... Um, I think we had three courts, but it was still just like like it, it was very hard already to give everyone like a decent number of games. No, that's impossible. That's a logistical accomplishment. Court. Yeah, that's it, quite the logistical accomplishment. It was, but then we had um, on I think it was on the Saturday evening or the Saturday afternoon. We just started to the afternoon bracket. And there was so much rain and the whole thing flooded. Like there was like, honestly, like a foot of standing water. Like you just <laughs> couldn't even, even play. So we had to actually cancel the rest of that day. And then we had to start the next day at uh, like 7.30 in the morning because that was the only way we we're going to get all the games in. And honestly, one, one of my proudest moments in Bike Parlor is that I actually got games started at 7.30. <laughs> wow. 
That would um, never happen over here. Yeah. Yeah. So you like seven thirty polo time or seven thirty like no, no, actually on the court seven thirty. Yeah, teams were playing at seven. So not like yeah. eight. <laughs> no. No. Wow. Never seen it happen again. Um, no. In terms of in terms of format, so uh, yeah, I mean, one of the problems with bike polo tournaments has always been that we have so many teams, and that the teams are small. I mean, you know, other sports where you've got sort of you know eleven or fifteen or whatever many players on the team, and you're generally not going to have that many at a tournament, right? Like you might have eight teams or something, and then it's much easier to do things like just round robin or make sure like everyone can play each other. When you've got you know thirty or sixty or even ninety teams playing each other, like it's going to be basically impossible to have a truly fair um you know a truly fair format and that's where you know swiss rounds was always really interesting because you know the way it works it generally leads to um you know a somewhat sort of equivalent schedule for everyone um but at the same time the trouble well, there's a couple of issues with swiss rounds in terms of you know certainly the mid table it, it, it's sorry john just to cut sure. you off yeah, for a second i just want to <laughs> explain to people quickly what swiss rounds are not everyone is listening is probably aware of Swiss rounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, three out of the four people in this podcast, I think, have played Magic extensively and know <laughs> what Swiss rounds are. But yeah, <laughs> basically, Swiss rounds is a, a tournament structure where um, teams with the same record pair off against each other each round. So yeah. if you win your first game, you're going to go up against a team that won their first game. And if you win your first three, you're playing against someone that won their first three and it pairs that way. So you're always playing as a team with the same or a very similar record to what you have. And if you just keep winning, you're going to go up and up and up in the standings and playing against other undefeated teams. It's an interesting format and it leads to a lot of close games, but it has some drawbacks. What were those drawbacks you were saying, John? Um, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think you, you've covered the basic format of it. Yeah, you, you, you're going to, you know, if you win your first game, you play another winner. You win you know, another game, you play another team with two wins and so on. Um, it's actually a system that comes from chess. Um, I think chess was one of the first places to use Swiss rounds. Um, and chess, it works really well because everyone's ranked very accurately because, you know, they're measuring that over years. Uh, I, I, I'm not super familiar with chess, but like, you know, it, it's very accurate. And in general, someone who's ranked this much is going to beat someone who ranked that much the vast majority of the time. So it's pretty accurate. With, with bike polo, that's not really the case, you know, um, with the sort of, especially in the early days, the short games. Um, and, you know, we didn't really know anything about most of the teams and the teams were sort of sometimes formed on the day or they have random subs or even the tournament, right? <laughs> it was very hard to have an accurate ranking and then, or then sort of, you know, accurate results, should we say, where, Usually, you'd expect the best team to to win, but that's really not always the case in bipolar. Um, so that that what that means is at the top end, yeah, sure, the teams who keep on winning, they're going to be the best teams, not really a problem. Bottom end, teams that keep on losing, again, they're generally going to be at the bottom. But it's the teams in the middle, it's a real problem because um, you know sometimes you you can jump you know from almost the bottom to the top in just you know a game or two, and suddenly be playing very tough teams who you really have no chance against. And then um, if you're only playing, you know, a couple of rounds, uh, that can really sort of impact um, uh, your ranking in the middle, which some of you might say, well, why does that matter? Only the myth, the winner matters, sure. But um, often Swiss rounds was used for sort of ranking for things like qualifiers and things like that, where actually it doesn't really matter who wins. It matters who finishes on the, you know, inside the bubble. Um yeah, so that's that's why there's sort of some issues with Swiss. The other big one is it's it's really hard to predict when you're going to play, and there'd be constant issues with you know teams would be like, oh, I'm going to go to the shop or whatever, I'm going to go get some food, and it's like, oh, you're on court in ten minutes, 
you know, it doesn't make yeah. for a sort of well-run tournament. We well, ran for, a Swiss for Crown tournament for a qualifier a couple years. Well, the last Northside qualifier. And the problem was that because every team had to play before another team could play. And we had, you know, 12 teams at the court. It was like three hours in between games for everyone all day. And everyone had to be at the court all day. And it was just, it was a lot longer and with a lot of gaps in between for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know when, when, in the, you know, you're going to be playing every round, but you don't know when in that round you're playing, especially with just one, because for bike polo, we have limited courts, right? One of the reasons I think it works so well in chess is that you can have 99 people playing chess at this, or maybe not 99, I guess you need an even number, but you can have any even number of people playing <laughs> chess at the same time. Uh, you know, the, the, they're not limited by the space of the, the chess sets, but for polo, obviously we frequently have more teams than courts. I think that's pretty much a, a given. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the big problems, which is why I'm actually generally more of a fan of, of small groups and then try and do round robin within that group if possible. Um, so, so I know when we, like we talked a little bit uh, before over some of the, the great lakes, cause you were involved quite heavily in organizing great lakes uh, here in Toronto. And I feel like great lakes has been one of those tournaments that almost always has an innovative format uh, and I think before you were talking about um, with, especially with the the way that you structured the, the Sunday or the elimination stage as trying to get creative, to come up with a way to make sure as many close games were played on the courts as possible. So you minimize the amount of your number one highest rated team versus your number 16 or whatever your bottom rated team is. Uh, and like the great lakes format, uh, I guess just to, to, go over quickly it was sort of um i guess your classic uh double elimination bracket but it started for the bottom six teams and then for the next six teams and like the, if you made it through the bottom playoff bracket then you got to play in the middle playoff bracket and then if you made it through that playoff bracket you play in the next playoff bracket um and i thought that was a really cool format for uh it just it led to every single team having good games on yeah. sundays yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned double elimination because that, that was the other format, sort of certainly for the final day, that was pretty common even when I started playing. And you know, double elimination is great when you've got a badly ranked list of teams um, or you have you know unpredictable results, which both of which is largely true for, for bike polo. Um, because it means that you know everyone gets a second chance, and you know if you get a bad draw at first, you, you can at least make it back. And you know, I, I personally, one of the tournaments I, I won. I lost in the first round um, against the team we ended up playing in the final and beating. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it, it can be cool for that. Um, the trouble with double elimination is once you get towards the end, um, all the, you know, the games take a really long time because generally you're sort of single-threaded in your ability to be able to play, you know, a game because you're like, oh, until this quarterfinal finishes, I haven't got the team for the losing game and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, teams want breaks between games and it really stretches out that those last sort of, you know, six or seven games over many, many hours. So I actually don't think double elimination is a great format for yeah. the final stages of the double, tournament. Double final sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah <double laughs> That's terrible. The double <laughs> final is yeah. just the worst. Yeah. It's so bad. It's so like anticlimactic <laughs> when it happens. And anyone who's watching who doesn't understand it is just like, what? what? Why? Why did I just watch that first game? 
one of one of my favorite uh experiences of someone not understanding how double elimination worked was for it was for a starcraft tournament uh we were watching there was this bar event in ottawa that was planned for this big uh, mlg starcraft tournament and it ran late and so they kind of like kept the bar open a little bit for us so we could get to the end it was like this the grand finals best of seven uh and it went to game seven and this guy won and they're like oh great you guys can like you know get out of here and we're like what do you mean there's another best of seven on now because this guy won and they're like yeah get 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 the hell out of here like, yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're, that's it we're not keeping open for this event like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i took a double limb i actually um i've often sort of fantasized about running a triple limb or even quadruple <laughs> limb tournament quadruple. And oh my god it, 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 it works and it would be a lot of fun but you have even worse problems when you get to the end when you have to play a quadruple final (laughs) or a a triple like can you imagine at that point i think you just have to say it's like how many lives you have in a tournament like you just your team has little hearts and you get like you take them off zelda format (laughs) that'd be so ridiculous yeah but you could do it you like get rid of swiss rounds and round robin and everything just start the whole tournament as a quadruple lm that'd be pretty cool once you've lost four games you're out that's it I feel like it'd be better for like a world format where you have a lot of similarly competitive teams, whereas like our local tournaments, we have so many, like, I feel like one team usually goes all the way to the finals undefeated and then the other teams are kind of straggling up and then get slammed down. But the quadruple elimination could be uh, taxing, I think, you know? Yeah, for sure. Especially in that end. I find I always appreciate your interesting kind of like seed teams on Saturday and then you're having like those triple bracketed groups that uh alex described because if you just throw the first day you can get into that bottom bracket and play way more polo than everybody else as, as oh, we yeah. as we found out when gavin scored four own goals on the first day of great lakes last time <laughs> that happened not on purpose though that was all by accident unfortunately yeah, yeah you can and i mean there's obviously ways to to game that system um i mean i think it's also the balance in bike polo between you know it's always been a sport that tries to be inclusive and tries to give everyone lots of games and i think that's that's again the advantage of something like double lm where you know at least the bottom teams yeah sure they're not going to make it to the final but at least they get a couple of games and you know there's middle yeah. table teams when, play a lot and i think that's good one of the biggest tragedies i think is whenever i see a tournament format where let's say you've got 10 teams, like a very realistic North side situation is we have 10 to 15 teams. And let's say there's two or three rookie teams there. If those teams don't play each other, I think we failed them as mm-hmm. whatever that, that format is, has failed because I, I think uh, you, they, they need to play each other at some point. Like you want to make sure, and that kind of goes back to your philosophy of as many good games as you can. Um, if we can give a rookie team, you know, if every team gets at least three to four games, uh, Get, you know we should try and make as many of those games close as possible with the, the tournament format yeah for sure and yeah I, i've been too many tournaments where like the top team like call me daddy or beaver boys or someone of that sort of quality is like you know playing against yeah some like rookie local team who really have never played before and just were thrown together for the wild card or something that first game on on sunday and it's just like you know it's not fun for anyone yeah no it's t- waste time but um john just a change it up a little bit here one thing that you're really known for is um, being the owner operator well co-owner co-operator of the bike pull equipment company magic polo and i just want to dive into that a little bit because it's so cool having owned your own brand and having all your own merch and stuff i've often fantasized about that myself um what was your inspiration for starting the brand how did it work 
Um, and the inspiration was actually uh, when I sort of started playing in, in London Bike Polo, um, I, you know, we have our own sort of, uh, you know, organization and you know, various roles. I mean, similar to, you know, I'm sure many other clubs. And I was, I uh, sort of made myself in charge of, um, you know, procuring equipment for the whole club. Um, so, you know, I'd be reaching out to the, the vendors who existed at the time and you know, working out sort of big group orders and, and things like that. And I think, Gavin, you've done similar things as well, right? I've seen you sort of pulling together these these big orders. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of my role. And then, um, you know, I, I quickly realized that um, there was a fair demand because then, other, you know, because London at the time was by far the biggest polo club around i don't know if there's ever been a city which had a bigger club I and mean, we had i think like 120 members at our peak wow. um like active players um so you know you can imagine there was a lot of demand like i was ordering like many hundreds of heads and shafts every every year and and then because we had so much everyone else in england was like buying off us and then you know other people in europe were buying off us and i quickly realized it seems like there might be some sort of business here where um, you know, I can I can source the equipment myself, and um, you know, see if we can make it work. And so that was, that was me and my friend Max Knight. Um, he sort of came from a, like a manufacturing background, a very like handy person. And you know, I'll be quite honest, that wasn't really me. I, I was more sort of you know on the the number side and you know the the, the contacts and so on. Um, but between the pair of us, we, we sort of, uh, you know, worked that out pretty well. Um, and, you know, so we started coming up with some, some designs and then started, uh, you know, trying to source equipment, which generally, you know, as anything in the world means going to China. <laughs> um, so, yeah, dealing with uh, lots of, you know, manufacturing companies in, in China, which was uh, an interesting experience. <laughs> There's um, a magic polo van. There was a van with it. The, there was a van. Yeah, I'm on was, Instagram right now, looking at it. Yeah, that was Max's van. Um, he, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, he got some some decals. Oh, sorry, decals as we're in North America, right? <laughs> uh, printed for that. It was yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, it was you know it was a fun thing to do, and I certainly don't regret doing it from from a financial point of view. It certainly wasn't you know the smartest move, as uh, unfortunately there isn't really any money in bike polo. And yeah, the amount of money that people are willing to pay for equipment means that there's there's very little margin at all. Um, you know, unless you're sort of literally sourcing, you know, sort of the the rod and so on yourself and drilling it out, which is you know obviously very time consuming. Um, mm. So yeah, it wasn't really a financially viable business. I mean, we've seen you know much bigger companies like Fixcraft, who ultimately it just didn't really work out for them either. Um, I mean, I, th I think it's kind yeah. of a good thing that Polo is that. I, I kind of like that Polo is mm -hmm. that space where uh, if the market got too big, like if it ever became sort of like a hockey or any, honestly any other sport you look at, um, if it became too commercially viable, I think we would see other companies move into it. And that would obviously have its its upsides. But I think we're kind of in this limbo space now where as long as there's a couple companies that are mostly fueled by the passion of the owners but the equipment is available and out there like i know at least now more so than i think any other time you can jump on like heckler's alley or anywhere and you can get mallets or something um it's kind of it keeps part of that diy spirit to an extent without uh 
like all I guess I'm saying all the companies we have are very much by polo players for polo players as opposed to getting too deep into the commercial side. But um, yeah, CCM isn't coming out here and making yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to see what a CCM polo build would look like though. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny. One of the things I looked at and just could never execute on was a full one piece carbon mallet. Um, I mean, you know, even if you could do thousands of them, the cost would still be in the hundreds of dollars and nobody would buy it for something that could break on a single like you know, shot. I mean, right? but, people are getting closer to that now, I think with some yeah. of these mallet prices. Yeah. Some yeah. of the companies are quite expensive and there is a carbon shaft that's pretty widely available now. It seems like, um, John, I'm curious, what was the big, if there was any, were there any big technological advances that magic polo brought to the, uh, the equipment forefront? Uh, any big advances, um, or even small ones, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, one thing actually, I think we, we definitely helped popularize was the use of golf grips. Um, mm. the, the famed, well, maybe not so much here, but the famed Magilic golf grips. We, uh, we had a printing error or whatever, a mold error <laughs> at a factory in China, which meant that they turned the I into an L. So yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of grips which say Magilic on the top. Um, <laughs> So that was a big thing for a while. I don't know if people are still playing with golf grips so much. Um, I just put one on did... the, uh, um, what's it called? Um, oh God, Lightfoot. Lightfoot just do theirs with golf yeah. grips. I actually just picked up a, for 20, well, for 2020, I picked up a, a Lightfoot full mallet setup. Still haven't been able to test it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was a, a while we were like sort of trialing out, um, like pop in sort of, um, uh, like ends for the heads because um, it's funny like now nobody would even think about it but for, for a long time like the dream was like a double capped uh, mallet um, you know so you could obviously you know shoot with both ends right rather than having the scoopy end um, it's funny I, I think that I mean I might be wrong but I don't think anyone's trying to do that anymore so I know we, <laughs> we had a lot of experimentation with that whether we were sort of making caps with then like screwing systems and stuff or I was trialing ones which sort of like popped in um and none of it really worked that well <laughs> <laughs> i wonder yeah, if that would side. even be allowed now like a double capped i, I wonder if the rules because the the language is pretty specific about what the head it has to be yeah. now i wonder if that would even violate a rule um we i i also like you know i, I helped design like a lot of interesting heads some of which were really never much more than prototypes things like trialing like different sort of um you know types of ends and curves and like you know certainly some of the, the bigger scooping stuff before that all got banned um uh but yeah there was some there was some really like interesting stuff that came out never really sort of went anywhere ultimately you know most of it pretty quickly just became the standard sort of single capped uh you know the complete um rod that was milled out to sort of be the open-ended head that i think everyone pretty much plays with these days so you, when you when you started it was just full pipe and ski pole uh yeah generally everyone was just playing with like you know like plumbing pipe pretty much with like two open ends and that's how uh, sort of you know started making you know caps and so on for it and then people realized that you could just take a whole rod and 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 drill it out into a into a head I think I think Milk by Polo might have been one of the first companies to do that. How far we have come! Are you uh, yeah. are you sitting on any stock right now that you need to liquidate or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, only uh, an insane amount of, of K 
connects actually there's not that many of them left i think i might have like 20 of them uh, the original like connects which actually uh fixed off they they officially licensed to magic bike parlor which was nice that was a nice example oh, cool. of cooperation between companies yeah you know certainly some of the early companies there's a lot of sort of you know cannibalization of you know people stealing <laughs> each other's ideas and, and i'm not going to say magic was entirely innocent there either <laughs> um, you know uh, but that was that was really nice to see. Like Fixcraft were always like you know as much as they were competitive, they were very supportive. Um, I think they realized that having one one company wasn't you know uh, the best thing for Bike Pro either. Um, but yeah, you know it was overall it was definitely a fun experience. Definitely glad I did it. I learned a lot. I learned about you know how not to how not to do business, uh, especially with uh, with friends. Uh, that's definitely a bad idea uh, when everyone wants free stuff and you give it to them and then you know. There's no money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Not not a not something I'd advise anyone getting into anytime soon, that's for sure. So the uh the burning question that I think everybody really wants to know, uh what in your opinion is the best version of the significant otters and when can we expect to come <laughs> back? <laughs> this um, is a juicy question. Yeah, oh that is a good one. Um Best can and be actually, subjective. Best in whatever axis you choose to evaluate that in. I, I would actually like to say the best is a team that never happened. I always wanted to enter a bench tournament with like a full set of uh, others. I think we might have done a five at some point. I forget. Um, but like a full like eight person squad of uh, of all the others who've ever played. So that I don't think is ever going to happen because I think <laughs> a few of those players don't even play anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously any combination with um, with uh, Nick and myself. Otherwise, it's really not a true, true Otters team. I feel like that's um, the that's the requirement for it to be called the Otters is for you and Nick. To I've seen a many third Otters over the years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so in terms of results, I mean, probably Alex, you with us, we're probably one of the most successful combinations. Oh, I forgot I others. played with you guys. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, uh, I think we did pretty well there in general. Um, I have to say, one of the most fun ones though was with Eric Blackston. Just uh, you know, the three of us, none none of us are that small, but we like Nick and I look like you know, look like tiny people compared to to Plaxton, right? So that was Plaxton's uh, one of the most fun guys to play with, just yeah, in general. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was actually in Ottawa, I think, at the uh, North Sides, and I forget where that court was. Um, that was fun, actually. I want to play there again. Back to the EV, EV Trailway Court or the one in Vanier? I think the one in Vanier, but not the one where you had that other tournament. It was a while before. Um, like, are you talking? Was this the first squad, the NSQ, like the first squad qualifier? Because yeah, that was one tournament, it. and then there was a and at the last qualifier that Ottawa had was at a different court. Much smoother. they didn't play in that one, though. I know they didn't play in the Al- the Alexander one. Oh yeah, I'll try and find it. We have a lot of yeah, courts in Ottawa. There's a yeah, lot of courts yeah. around here. Yeah, no, it was that was that was great. But anyway, um, beautiful surface that called. But yeah, so that was with with Plaxton there. I'm trying to think. We we played quite a bit with. Um, I think our first solid team was with. Um, oh, that's embarrassing. I forget his name. I think it was Daniel, was it the German guy? Uh, we played with a lot. That was that was a lot of fun because we actually played you know like four or five tournaments together as the same team, which is I think the only time in my life I've or any time in my career I've really <laughs> really done that. It's always hard to find that groove when you're you know, playing with different people or like with Nico Paris, we, we played quite a few tournaments too. So yeah, that was, you know, it's always been fun, but I think, yeah, my dream would be to get everyone back together for a giant, giant bench team. I feel like you have too many people. 
How many otters are there, John? The world needs to know. Yeah, that's a good question. I was trying to think now who's who's played for us. It used to be a small number, but um, obviously Flaxton, Paddy played with us, Alex, Nico, um, the guy whose name I've forgotten. Uh, so you got I'm Nico sure Paris and Nico Sablutsky or whatever. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about him as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of others along the way. My, my, fa- my your, favorite uh... was the uh, yeah. My favorite was when Squad came out and you changed the name to Significant Squatters. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's it's a smart joke. It might be like you know a little little too that, highbrow. That might be one of my favorite polo team names. Like that's probably in the top ten list because it's just <laughs> with all the context, it's it's great. The Significant Otter is definitely one of the most prolific north side teams out there name recognition wise within the region i'd say it's up there as one of the most um storied franchises i'm wondering kind of the future of bike polo what direction would you like to see the game go do you have any ideas or hopes um i mean i think given the you know obviously with the whole pandemic i can't imagine it's been much polo being played at all right now in general right i know some places have so i think just getting it back to um you know the way it was previously would be yeah. would be good, but I think for a while there was a sort of um, a real path that like Polo was on in terms of growing and getting a bigger audience, and you know some of the things like uh, the the PHPP where you know people started to get like media organizations so involved, and you know I think for a while it could have become something much bigger, and I know a lot of people have very strong opinions on that and whether it, that would have ever been a good thing, and you know we don't know if it didn't happen. I, I I, I would still at some point love to have seen or love to see, you know, a squad of actual professionals who this is all they do. And seven days a week, that's that they just train and they get paid to train and just play bike polo. I would love to see where it could actually go, like how good it could get. Cause like, you know, nobody's doing that. Right. Like, yeah, people yeah. practice more and so on, but uh, imagine if that was somebody's single focus. Um, yeah, it'd be great. Or if we could it like, would be you know, amazing. Be at, like the Olympics or X Games or whatever. And there was a lot of like, you know, there, for a while, I know there was talk of like Red Bull getting involved. And I think if they had, <laughs> I'm sure there would have, would have been a lot of bad things that would have happened in the commercialization. I'm, I'm not denying that. But I think purely from the sporting point of view, I think it could have been great to watch. That was the first thing that popped in my head was Red Bull before you even said yeah. it. I was like, they would be the ones to invest. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there was talks. I, I don't know how far it ever went. Um, but I think, you know, I think there was talk there, but yeah. But I say for now, I think just just getting back to sort of healthy, competitive uh, scene, and you know, having everyone be able to travel again, and you know, uh, I mean, I don't know, are there even any plans for a for a Worlds right now? I, I'm not really sort of following on the sort yeah, of the latest news on that, but you know, to be able to do that, and you know, I I'd like to go back to a tournament at that level again, maybe not to play, but at least to be there. You know, um, it'd be great to like see everyone and see all the new people who I've, you know, never met because, you know, I haven't traveled so much in the last few years. So yeah, that's what I like to see. You great. weren't at uh Poutine the net in Montreal the last year, right? I was or, not, no, I've, right, I've yeah. never actually been to Montreal at all. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, def- definitely have to change that. Maybe the, the significant it's the best. Needs to make an appearance. <laughs> yeah, I think of, of clubs that have exploded in North sides in the last few years, they're, uh, I, I feel like I see new faces every time I go to Montreal. 
Yeah, yeah. It's growing quick. All right, John. Well, let's wrap it up there, I guess. That's a good place to leave off. And uh, just on behalf of Alex and Liam, myself, just want to say thank you so much for giving us your wisdom, giving us your time. I think this is going to be a great episode when it gets out there. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It was, it was great to chat about this sort of stuff. And, you know, I could I could go on for hours. So if you ever want to part two. <laughs> I sure. guarantee we'll take you up on that at some point. <laughs> for sure. Great. Well, yeah, thanks okay. for having me. Awesome. Thanks yeah, so no much. Problem. Cheers. Thank you. What a great interview with John there. I got to say, of all the people that I looked up to in the game, I think John is definitely one of the people that inspires me to just put more into the the game as much as we can and just to grow it and be there for everyone i mean bike polo needs more than just players we need growers we need developers we need all these people and i think john epitomizes that and uh, that's why we had to have him on the show what do you guys think there's a common theme that i keep hearing between like john and elias and it sounds like we owe a lot to these random new player events that someone just randomly hooks one of these people that end up being just instrumental and they pay back to the community many, many, many times over. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that the city of London decided to throw that new player event. And they, they got mm-hmm. John when they did. You never know who you're recruiting, right? They could be the next John Hayes and do a ton for the game. So that's something to keep in mind when you're getting tired of hosting rookie nights and you don't want to plan another initiation or print those business cards or whatever it is. All those things matter. And every interaction, every recruit is someone more for our game internationally. Can't stress that enough. All right, enough sappy stuff. Let's get to everyone's favorite part of the show. The mailbag. Mailbag. We have uh, one email from our trusty emailer justin and he writes so, liam oh i just want to interrupt you for a second because justin's telling me that you promised him a guest spot on the show is this true <laughs> uh well i mean he did say something like he wanted to be on episode number 23 okay I don't know, what are I we at right now speak it into existence <laughs> i guess at this point we kind of have to have him on the show he writes in every week is there most he's well, practically yeah. already on the show <laughs> i'm pretty sure i offered i said well you want to be on the show next week and he said no, I'll be on episode and then arbitrarily said like 20 something or whatever. Yeah. So he wants the I guess, Michael Jordan episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't shake no hands about it, but I mean, I think it'd be good. There this we guy's go. got, this guy's got takes such as uh, the one you'll hear right now. He writes, I'd like to see an iced category in your fantasy league, or perhaps who shotguns the most beer before the joust. <laughs> a face off should only be done in the last game of a tournament. Helmets in a cage are essential to the game. I think all players should wear them. In my experience, they only prove useful a few times a season, but they are worth every penny. I would, uh, I agree with all those, all those things. Uh, you agree you with all those takes, Liam? Uh, I'm yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I mentioned the the fantasy league, the beer. Well, thing. I guess I guess this fun. is why we don't need Justin because Liam agrees with him all the time <laughs> on everything. <laughs> well, no, this is just good. This is true. I you should have a helmet in a cage. I think. Yeah. Safety I first. Mean, We've already discussed the face-off thing. I, I definitely like when face-offs randomly get called and both teams agree for it. Uh, but I would like to see more face-offs just yeah, as a general. Just in general, I'd like to see more face-offs. I don't know about this whole fantasy drinking competition thing. I feel like that already kind of happens at most tournaments. But uh, it'd be hard to regulate that stat. I mean, Who iced the most players? 
well maybe not not who iced the most but just who gets iced the most that'd be easier to regulate yeah Yeah. like you just you just keep track of how many times people got iced that weekend which is would still be difficult but yeah could be good Hmm. i like that i like that as a category i don't know about changing the format oh sorry say that again alex i'll uh, i'll start a spreadsheet for this fantasy format and this could end up being quite the format (laughs) for sure i'm excited for the the next worlds just so i can play the fantasy from the comfort of my own home um yeah it'll be a good time what do you mean i already think about who i'm gonna draft first i'm gonna first pick gavin that's my plan (laughs) yeah right that'd be pretty cool though um okay well i guess that's our whole episode this week what an episode it was we got to have some fun laughs with liam there and we all learned something about mr john hayes and uh we got a great email from justin not to mention the interview with john so that is uh the wrap for the week so on behalf of uh liam alex myself thank you guys for listening all the way to the end if you want to get your email featured on our podcast Email us at northsidepolopodcast at gmail.com. That's northsidepolopodcast at gmail.com. If you're still listening, why don't you drop us a review on Spotify or Apple? Rate us five stars. That would help us so much. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, remember, keep your rubber side down, right? We don't want to see you go wheels up. Until next time, I'll talk to you. Bye for now. Bye. Peace. Peace.